Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. So, that was a really weird speech last night. (laughs) We went through it in detail, but still can't shake it. He seems to be warning about really bad things if Republicans should win next week. What is he up to? What are they up to? Of course, we want peace. We want no violence. Nobody wants violence, right? But we were prepared for it. Don't you remember? America was getting prepared in the event of a Trump victory. Do you remember this back in 2020? Stores, businesses across the country were boarding up in the days leading up to the November 2020 election. Why were they doing that? They were doing that in anticipation of a Trump win. Because if Trump won, we know there would have been rioting. (laughs) Flat out, all out, they would have gone nuts. So what's going to happen this time? Should we board up again? I mean, let's face it, the Republicans are going to win big, really big, probably the House and the Senate. And the way Joe is talking, we need peace. We absolutely need peace. But we also need to vote. And remember this little handy-dandy tool. Liberal plus chaos equals Biden. If you ever get into an argument with one of your Democratic friends, just whip this out for a quick summary as to why you're voting the way you're voting. If you're voting the way I think you might be voting, let's go through it. The liberal, liberal is Joe Biden. He's a liar. He's incompetent. He's totally bizarre. He's erratic. He is a racist. Oh, yes. If you're voting for Trump, then you ain't black. Remember that? He's totally angry, and he is a lazy, lazy person. Lazy president, certainly. Uh, Liberal plus chaos. What do we have when it comes to chaos? We got crime out of control. Hunter Biden. Oh, yeah, we haven't forgotten. Afghanistan. We lost a war. This obscene fascination with children and their gender. The supply chain is screwed up. Okay, liberal plus chaos equals Biden. The border, we have none. Inflation out of control. Disunity, you promised it, you didn't deliver. Gas prices are out of control. And no respect. Nobody seems to respect us across the globe. Okay, chaos plus liberal equals Biden. Straightforward. That's the way it is. No matter what you said in that bizarre, crazy, weird speech last night. As I stand here today, there are candidates running for every level of office in America, for governor, Congress, attorney general, secretary of state, who won't commit, they will not commit to accepting the results of election that they're running in. 
This is a path to chaos in America. It's unprecedented. It's unlawful. And it's un-American. I've said before, you can't love your country only when you win. Tell that to your Democrat friends, especially Hillary Clinton. Do you remember the advice she gave you, Mr. President? Yeah. <laughs> How un-American is this? How chaotic is this? Listen. You know, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because I think this is going to drag out. And eventually, I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch and if we are as focused and relentless as the other side is. Wow. Don't concede under any circumstances was Hillary's advice to Joe Biden in the fall of 2020. What about the circumstances where the other guy gets more votes than Joe Biden? Don't concede. How un-American can you get? Look, in the final days leading up to the election, they're not talking about inflation, gas prices, securing the border. They're talking about democracy in a very self-serving and, I believe, ugly way. Like this guy, Fanon. Remember him and his dramatics? The indifference shown to my colleagues is disgraceful. Wow. Uh, not impressed. Still not impressed. And unfortunately, we see him all the time uh, on CNN, which is easy to avoid. But sometimes I got to check in. Take a look. I like to bring this up. I think it, it is a good way to sort of get at Mike Fanone, the total person, and also your evolution of what you've been through. You voted for Trump in 2016. Um, but in your essay, you criticized the GOP. You notice anything about this guy? Look at the eyes. He doesn't blink. He does not blink. Something is up. Anyway, uh, look, he's a cop. I think he's been exploited by the left. And he needs a job, and CNN was hiring, so he says what he probably believes, but he's way out of his lane. No, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You don't think there's anything that will shock the conscience? I mean, do you think there's any turning around? Is there anything that works to turn people around? Uh, I, I mean, it's just going to take individual Americans waking up to the fact that, you know, the wolves are at the doorstep here. Uh, and we need to, you know, start looking to, uh, you know, our neighbors and, and looking at our greater communities rather than caring only about ourselves uh, and our own uh, careers and livelihoods. All right. See what I mean about not knowing what he's talking about? He reminds me of who remembers Miss Teen somewhere or other uh, a long time ago with Mario Lopez. Uh, why don't Americans know certain things? Do you remember this? Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our ed education like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq everywhere like such as and I believe that they should you know what I mean this is a very phenone like answer I'm sorry I'm sorry but this guy has put himself in the national conversation and he doesn't belong there 
and he's being used. And but this is all they have right now, you know, talking about democracy. They're the threat, I believe, to democracy. You know, we've seen this before in our history. Um, after the Civil War, during Reconstruction in the early 1900s, you had the Ku Klux Klan uh, scaring people from going to the ballot box. Now you have masked militia members, individuals who are armed, sitting in lawn chairs, wearing masks, um, terrorizing people from going and casting a ballot. What is he talking about? What fantasy land? I'm not talking about that rumor from Arizona, all right? This is, this is not what they're saying. And so many people believe this. They believe, like Joe Biden said last night, that Republicans are pushing violence. That's not happening. They live in fantasy land for their own nefarious political purposes. It's having a real negative effect around the country. The culture is so warped right now. Crime is tolerated. Did you hear about that girl in Minnesota? Her name, uh, Nicole Hammond, 28 years old, stabbed to death in the neck by a colleague. Apparently, she wasn't into him and he was into her. His name is Carpenter, and she was, they worked together, and he was texting her a lot, wanted to go out with her, and she didn't want anything to do with him. There's no suggestion that this was racially biased or whatever, but she did not report him to management. That's what we're told. Management, the CEO of the company, had no idea that one of his employees was being hounded by this guy. Now, given the situation, yeah, anytime there is anything that requires our intervention, we step in. But in this case, we had no indication that there was anything awry. Okay, now I'm just wondering right here if she were in a particularly difficult, sensitive situation because she's white and the guy bothering her is a black man. That's, um, that's touchy, right? Just turn on the TV. Everyone's calling everybody a racist, and that can be a career killer. Now, this vile racist conspiracy theory is as old as time. He's a racist. We've known for a long time that he is a racist. And go back to where you came from is it's peak racism. I think he is a racist. He's a racist, outright racist, a bigot. The, the, the census, it's racist. Ice raids, it's racist. But it also is a racist book. But that's extremely racist. Yeah, I hate to say it the obvious, but when you have to declare yourself not racist, that really means that you're racist. It's overused, obviously. If everything's racist, nothing is racist. And folks are very, very awkward about this. A lot of people are, understandably so. The stakes are very, very high out there. And if the wrong person accuses you, watch out, watch out. And if you make a mistake, no matter what your color, I mean, this is not a country that forgives very easily. I still can't get over this matter in St. Louis. Do you remember this woman? You know, she lived in a condominium complex with one door and you have a key fob and some guy was in the vestibule with her and she didn't recognize the guy and he didn't have a key fob and he wanted to go in after her. She had a problem with that, like most condominiums do. You're not supposed to let any strangers in. It was national news. It's totally bizarre. And we still haven't, like, quite frankly, as a country, corrected this. This woman deserves an apology. The confrontation caught on video, a white woman blocking a black tenant from entering their apartment building, demanding proof that he lives there. What a horror. That's that's that David Muir guy, right? There he is on the nightly news over there at uh, Channel 7. Wow. Look at how trivial this is.
but they've, everybody's on eggshells and it's so unnecessary. We've got really important things to worry about. Street crime is everywhere, especially in urban centers like New York. New York City is a totally, totally different place. It's out of control. And we have a mayor who is out to lunch. Eric Adams has no idea what he's doing, uh, yet he's a narcissist. He thinks he's really, really good. Listen to this. And you know, you know, I hear often, uh, I'm the pilot. Anyone that's wishing for the pilot to fail, they better realize they're on this plane. <laughs> We're all in this together. Right now, I'm the pilot. <laughs> and we should be all praying for a safe landing on <laughs> as we're in this plane together and not cross our fingers for some, something something happen. Pray for me, because I'm got I got to land this. Hey, yeah, this is uh that's not very mayoral, is it, huh? He's like a child. He literally is like a child. It's funny that he made this aviation reference because I actually said several months ago that in a weird way. He kind of was like a pilot, and his job is like being a pilot, but he's no pilot. This is back in July. He's a total amateur when it comes to power. You know, being the mayor of a big city like New York, it's kind of like being the captain of a plane. Very complex systems. You have to know what buttons to press. And Eric, he's very, you know, kind of cute. He reminds me of a little kid playing or pretending to be a pilot in a very big plane. Again, it's adorable. It's cute. Just like Mayor Adams, he looks the part, but he can't actually pull off the job. Right, right, right. And actually, he's not even interested in flying the plane. He just wants to party in first class in the back on the private jet, right? The bottles and the models. This is what he's about. No interest in flying the plane. I, on the other hand, was actually an aviator uh, for nine years of my life. I flew jets in the military. And I know that you need people around you. You need skilled people to help you every step of the way. And I was blessed to have some of the greatest Marines and maintenance and weapons. And we worked together as a team. And when I see this Eric Adams and giggling about asking for prayers, you know, I may run for mayor myself someday. And I'll be asking for prayers, but I won't be giggling about it. All right. Stay with us. Paul Pelosi is out of the hospital. But of course, this matter is not over. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, so Paul Pelosi is back home from the hospital that's good news. We want him to get better. We also want to know everything there is to know about this story. That's fair. Here's a picture of the vehicle that brought him home, we believe, uh, just after it dropped him off, backing up out of the garage. Boy, they have a lot of protection there now. We're also learning a little bit more about the suspect, David DePape. Uh, here he is a few years back conducting that nude 
nudist uh, wedding ceremony of some, th- some type uh, downtown. Uh, what else? Uh, so DePape is a Canadian-born man, but he came to this country in 2008, was it? And he came here via Mexico. Uh, San Ysidro, that's one of the main crossings between Mexico and the United States. And he came here in 2008 on a student visa. No, what kind of visa was it? Oh, yeah, tourist visa. He was supposed to get out of the country in six months. He's been here ever since. And uh, what place is better for somebody here illegally than San Francisco? They love it when they come and show up there. They won't throw you out. San Francisco is a sanctuary city. San Francisco is una ciudad santuario. I'm Mayor Gavin Newsom. San Francisco is a sanctuary city. We want to remind all of our residents that the city and county of San Francisco is a sanctuary city. Hey, that's uh, Chief Scott on the right there. You know, if they weren't a sanctuary city, this would not have happened to Paul Pelosi. Huh? How about that? No, 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 no. Don't talk about that. No, 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 no. That makes Democrats vulnerable, of course. You know who's been great on this and who's great, period? Senator Tom Cotton. He's out with a new book uh, about what's happening in America and a little bit about his life. An amazing guy, senator from Arkansas. Uh, Here he is schooling the fake news yesterday. Senator, for the moment, I want to separate out uh, everyday violent crime and what seems to be politically motivated crime and and get your thoughts on whether the temperature in the country is just too high, uh, the misinformation is just too much, and that we're going to see more, not less, political violence going forward. That's the concern. People in your own party have voiced that concern. Well, you see deranged lunatics attack both Democrats and Republicans alike. Uh, I don't think John Boehner, 12 years ago, pointing out that Nancy Pelosi passed Obamacare, Kevin McCarthy now pointing out that she passed trillions of dollars of spending that caused this inflation, led to this, you know, apparent nudist activist breaking into her home. The simplest way to stop crimes like this is to get tough on crime. It's not to try to stop campaigning in the middle of a campaign seven days before an election on legitimate issues of public concern. All right, Tom Cotton, he is the best. And you know what I've been hearing a lot, that we're not supposed to talk about Paul Pelosi because he's a private citizen. He does not hold office, right? That's one of their go-to excuses, like the Trump children, right? We know how everybody hands off the Trump kids because they're private citizens. I'm sorry, but this is fair game. And Hunter Biden, I also hear it about him. Oh, he's a private citizen. Yeah, I think most of the opportunities that have come Hunter's way are because the American people gave Joe Biden and the people of Delaware gave him some significant opportunities over the years. And it's OK for us to ask questions. By the way, DePape, how is he doing? The suspect, he's in custody. We have not heard from him. He was in court. He pleaded not guilty. This is all we've seen of him, by the way. A sketch, a sketch. And uh, it's interesting, some cities, some jurisdictions, they have what's called the perp walk. Have you ever heard about it? Uh, Dominique Strauss-Kahn. This might be one of the most famous perp walks ever. Uh, France was totally infuriated with us. He was um, arrested for rape. He was the head of the International Monetary Fund, a, a French citizen. And the French were just shocked that he was paraded before the cameras when he hadn't been convicted. And it started a bit of a debate, like why do we have the perp walk? It is also known as the perpetrator walk, the alleged perpetrator walk. Uh, When they move the uh, individual, the defendant from uh, jail to court, uh, in some jurisdictions, you actually get to see this. And it's actually not a bad thing. 
Um, well, number one, we can tell that the defendant is not being abused in any way. Uh, and sometimes they say something interesting as they're being led around. I'm shot. I'm the, I'm the victim. Why'd you do it? I didn't what? You tell us. He told me he was going to kill me. Why? He told me because I bumped into him he was going to kill me. So what? Don't worry about me. I'm going to be all right. You have any remorse? What happened? Same thing all over again. Yeah, she didn't care about my family. She didn't care about my children. She didn't care about me. Now, you got to be careful with these things because this is how they got Oswald, all right? Uh, but it's not unheard of to actually be able to see the defendants as they're being moved around. And yeah, it's actually, I think, something that should be considered. Maybe we should do this more often. Um, it's adds to the transparency of the whole thing. Hey, one other item I want to mention, because there has been not much in the way of new information, but I'm wondering if the officials are intimidated to some degree by Nancy Pelosi, because the district attorney, she's brand new on the job. Uh, this mayor hasn't been around too long. The police chief, you know, they come and go. They serve at the pleasure of the mayor. He got there in 2017. Nancy Pelosi has been around San Francisco politics since 1987. Uh, she's the most powerful person there by far. And sometimes when somebody really powerful, you know, like when the chairman or CEO of your company comes in, everybody gets really nervous. I wonder if that is kind of messing things up a little bit. Could be. We'll see. There's a lot we don't know yet. We're glad Mr. Pelosi seems to be on the mend. All right. So Obama, Barack Obama, high on his own supply again, out there campaigning like crazy, a lot more than Joe Biden. And for a guy who was supposed to be a uniter, no, not at all. But one thing is clear, and that is this, this increasing habit of demonizing political opponents, of just yelling. And, 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 and thinking not just that I disagree with somebody, but that they're evil or wrong, that creates a, a dangerous climate. And, and when we have politicians and elected officials in leadership positions who continue to promote over-the-top rhetoric, or at least ignore it, or make light of it, more people are going to get hurt. You know... His campaign back in 2008 called Hillary Clinton a monster. And you should hear some of the stuff they said about John McCain using his war service against him. They were vicious. Obama's no saint. He's not above uh, anything, quite frankly. He gets down in the gutter and fights like crazy. It's interesting. It's okay when they do it, right? No, actually, it's not. And these folks engage in actual violence. We have scores of examples. June 2016, San Jose, California, left-wing activists attacked Trump supporters. They drew blood. How about November 2016? Riots all over the place after Trump won that election. June 2017, shooting at that uh, GOP baseball game, softball game in Northern Virginia. All right, summer 2020, rioting of Black Lives Matter protesters, protesters, rioters, rioters, criminals. Uh, more recently, the attempted stabbing of Congressman Zeldin. Yeah, that guy had a knife and he tried to take him out, tried to take him out. Uh, the assassination attempt on Justice Kavanaugh also. And those 
protesters who are allowed to break the law. It's actually against the law to conduct this kind of protest where a Supreme Court justice lives. Hey, just last month, the attack on Senator Rubio's uh, volunteer. I mean, look at that again, drawing blood. It <laughs> barely got noticed. And I think this was yesterday. Um, Senator, uh, soon-to-be Senator, we hope, Bulldog, General Bulldog, running for Senate in New Hampshire, ambushed by some guy. This is happening against conservatives, Republicans, and the left, they seem just fine with it, just fine. All right, stay with us, folks. Uh, right here in New York, we could have a Republican take the governorship away from a Democrat for the first time since 1994. George Pataki, the last guy who did it, joins us in a moment. No blind rhetoric. No talking down to me. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think. I trust Newsmax. 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 They don't tell me how to think. They let me decide. Real news for real people. Take a look at this. New York State could go red next Tuesday. Congressman Lee Zeldin running for governor is slightly ahead of Governor Kathy Hochul. That would be totally awesome. Uh, we need we need salvation. We need a change here in New York. My gosh, the cr the crime, the chaos. Now, uh, this has not happened in a very long time. A Democrat losing to a Republican statewide in New York. We got to go back to the 1990s. You remember Mario Cuomo, right? Mario Cuomo, he was a giant, right? Everybody, he was going to run for president. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. Anyway, he was considered unbeatable, unbeatable until he was beaten by our next guest. George Pataki shocked the world in 1994. Let's see. There he is making his way to the podium. He defeated the three term governor, uh, Mario Cuomo, went on to serve three amazing terms himself. And by the way, after he left, it's been pretty much downhill for New York. Governor Pataki joins us right now. Governor, welcome back to Newsmax. And uh, it is kind of wild. It has not been done since you did it. You Greg, think? it's been uh, 20 years now since the Republican won. But I think what you said earlier is absolutely right. We have an excellent chance this year. Um, you need to get a million and a half Democrats to vote for you. But I think Democrats in this city, in this state, understand that the leadership in Albany has failed miserably. Crime is through the roof. The mentally ill homeless are harassing people on the streets. We're number one in the country in population loss. Uh, and do they really want more of the same? I don't think so. I think Lee Zeldin has a tremendous chance. What has happened culturally, politically? Why is it seen as, you know, Democrats are too entrenched, unbeatable? I mean, we know that's not the case now, but for decades, that's the understanding until somebody like you or somebody like Lee Zeldin comes around. And I'll point out, you knocked off a giant. Kathy Hochul is no Mario Cuomo. But why, why does it seem less doable now than it did back then, although it is doable? But I'm talking about a couple of months ago. It's like, no chance, no chance. Well, Greg, you're absolutely right. It is doable. Uh, and you need the same conditions we had back in uh, when I won the first time. Uh, what it comes down to is there are you need a million and a half Democrats to vote for you to win, not just Republicans and independents. And you need Democrats to take a look at their life and say the government is screwing up. 
Uh, and we haven't had that for a while. I think we've had horrible leadership, very poor leadership. Um, but you need it to be so bad that Democrats take another look. And it is so bad that they are taking another look. I think in many ways the, the demographics are better. We have a uh, much larger Latino population. Uh, there's absolutely no reason they should vote for these Democrats. They're the victims of the street crime. They're the victims of the failed public schools. They're the victims of the mentally ill homeless. And unlike the white liberals who vote Democrat, they don't have $60,000 a year to pay their, their, send their kid to a private kindergarten. So the opportunities are there. Zeldin has done a tremendous job looking to seize on those opportunities. And, uh, you know, it'll shock the world, but it wouldn't shock me if we see him win on Tuesday. So you leave office in 2007 or so. You're succeeded by Elliot Spitzer. He goes down in flames. Uh, he's succeeded by, uh, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, David, he, Patterson. Pat, David Patterson. He went down in flames, not as bright, but he went down. And then Andrew Cuomo, three of the last four Democrats went down in flames. Uh, that's that's really something. Uh, what do you what's your assessment, though, of Kathy Hochul herself? Just what do you make of her? You know, first, Greg, I think they went down in flames because one party government doesn't work. When you have no accountability because you have a Democratic governor, Democratic attorney general, Democratic legislature in both houses, there's no one to hold the, the highest executive accountable. Uh, so they get out of control, and they have gotten out of control in New York. Um, uh, governor Hochul had an opportunity. Uh, to show the people that she understood the nature of crime, understood what was happening in New York. And instead, you know, during the debate, she comes out and says, I don't understand why putting violent criminals away is so important to you. Uh, what she did was essentially tell the people of New York, she doesn't think there's a real crime problem. It's a perception problem. It's not a perception problem. It's a real problem. So, so I think she has opened the door for Zeldin to have a tremendous chance to pull this off. Well, if Lee Zeldin doesn't uh, become governor, I, I, I worry <coughs> for his life. He's been almost stabbed and he's been almost shot. If this campaign goes on much longer, do me a favor, though. Can you explain to the folks in uh, New York State, a lot of people across the country think Big Apple, big city, but it's not that way. This is a big, complex state, and if you get a bit north of New York City, it's like the rest of the country. It's like the rest of the country. Thank God for that. You know, I love New York City, but politically it's an outlier. It's like the San Francisco or Chicago uh, of, of New York State from a political standpoint. But it is a big state. 20 million people, uh, 3 million on Long Island. And Zeldin is going to do exceptionally well on Long Island. And millions more upstate and upstate, all things being equal, vote Republican. Uh, and things aren't equal this time. People understand the state is headed in the wrong direction. So. It's an uphill battle always for a Republican in New York, uh, but the, the, the hill is a lot lower than it was a few years ago, and Zeldin is doing a tremendous job focusing on crime, not just criticizing crime, but outlying solutions, you know, like getting rid of the no-bail law, uh, getting rid of prosecutors who won't uphold the law, uh, calling a criminal emergency, a, a state of emergency relative, relevant to crime. And he's absolutely right in all these things. And on the other hand, you have Hochul saying, you know, it's a perception. I don't know why you are so upset about people being locked up. Well, Tuesday, she may find out that it's not just Zeldin, it's the people of New York who are fed up with this. Can I just ask you this? Back in 1994, when you beat Mario Cuomo, um, look, this was a guy who dreamed about being president or Supreme Court justice, uh, even chief justice. 
Um, you knocked him out. Uh, did you guys ever talk after the election? And what was that like? You know, we did, not right after the election. And I understand that uh, all the polls, you know, by the way, some polls show Zeldin a little bit behind. Every single poll right before the election showed me losing by at least six points and some of them by 12 or 14 points. So I understand Governor Cuomo was stunned by this upset as everybody else was. So we didn't talk for a while. But ultimately, uh, we went through an orderly transition. And then once I took office, uh, he was extremely respectful, and we used to speak on a not regular, but a frequent basis. And he was always graceful and respectful. And uh, he used to kid me. He go, I'd go, Governor, you're so gracious. And he goes, Well, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to be gracious when when you've lost and when you've won. Uh, and but he 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 was highly respectful, and that's one of the reasons. I've laid low in New York politics because I respect the office as Governor Cuomo did. Well, listen, uh, Governor, thank you very, very much. That, uh, thank you for your service and uh, really, from my perspective, a true statesman, and we don't have many of those anymore. Thank you, Governor Pataki. Thank you, Greg, and I'm excited about Tuesday, and hopefully what we both wish for is going to come to pass. Sounds great. Take care, and we'll be right back. All right, some strange stuff has been happening uh, throughout the world, especially in China. Did you see this a couple of days ago? Uh, the guy they seem to be throwing out of the room is the former president. Uh, he doesn't want to leave, but they're making him leave. The current president is sitting right there in the middle, essentially, just waiting for this guy to be ejected. So that's happening. No stability in China. And North Korea is shooting missiles off left and right. And one of my favorite analysts, the author, Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China, and one of the foremost experts in the world in this stuff, has been tweeting things that, quite frankly, are a bit alarmist. Uh, Gordon, first of all, welcome back. And I don't mean alarmist alarmist, but you got some tweets here. Hug your children tonight. I'm like, uh-oh, does this mean the big one's coming? And uh, if you're in China, get out now. How do you feel overall? It, it does feel like the tensions are certainly escalating, but how are you feeling? This is one of the most dangerous periods in history. In China, we have a messianic leader. He believes he not only should rule the planet Earth, but the near parts of the solar system. He's a Maoist. He has almost complete control of the Chinese political system. And by the way, China is falling apart underneath him. And if all of that weren't bad enough, he believes that he either owns the Biden administration or that the Biden administration is totally incapable, maybe both. So right now, this is a moment of great peril, not only for the United States, not only for China's neighbors, but for everybody around the world. Oh, boy. And uh, let's face it. Yes, uh, Joe Biden is not very impressive uh, to us or to, on the world stage. But maybe you've seen those clips of Joe Biden running around bragging about how well he knows President Xi. He's traveled the world with him more than any other leader. And I don't really I'm not impressed with that. I expect world leaders to know each other. He keeps going there. Why does he do that? And I have a feeling they're laughing at us over that. Well, they're certainly laughing at us. And we don't have to speculate about that, Greg, because we know what the Chinese, in fact, are saying, you know, I can't understand why Biden says that he's got such a good relationship with Xi Jinping, who is, after all, a mass murderer and is committing genocide, crimes against humanity. 
I would think that if I were president of the United States, he's like Xi Jinping is the last person I'd be bragging about in having a good relation. But the thing about Biden is he believes that he needs China's cooperation on things like climate change. And so, therefore, he's saying these nice things about uh, a monster. A monster, a monster. And look, it seems to me, and I am a total amateur on this stuff, but then again, sometimes a common sense approach from an outsider, which Donald Trump had. And he was tough. He was tough with North Korea. And then they had what I thought was a beautiful coming together. I don't think Trump was manipulated. I think that actually made the world a safer place. And with him gone, it looks like he's acting up again. And I hear from the left, oh, that's not true. If you count this, that, and the other thing, we're more. I actually think he was doing a great job, Donald Trump. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't a fan of uh, President Trump's North Korea policy, but I have to say that he kept the peace during those four years. And even more important, he kept the peace with Vladimir Putin and with China um, because they were respected the United States. They respected President Trump. And also, they were afraid of him. They thought he was unpredictable. Now, Chinese leaders can get along with hostile American ones, but the one thing that they can't deal with is somebody that they cannot predict. And Trump was clearly in that category. So at least we had four years of peace and stability, not just in East Asia, but also in East Europe. And, and right now, we don't have that, Greg. So I heard a general the other day, I think it was General Keene, former four-star general, very smart, said that the Chinese military could probably beat America right now. I'm not sure if China could move its forces the way we can, but a fight over there, perhaps they could win. And I want to go back, actually, seriously, to some of your comments over the past uh, few weeks. And I follow you on Twitter, and everybody should, at Gordon G. Chang. But you're, you're saying things like, hug your loved ones, especially tight tonight. And I really felt like, gosh, does he know that something really bad is going to happen in the morning? You mentioned it's dangerous, but, I mean, are we on the precipice right now? Do you really sense a hot war somewhere, somehow, uh, very soon? I sense that the, this is the most dangerous time in history. One of the things is that China is not only engaged in the fastest military buildup since the Second World War. Um, Xi Jinping picked a war cabinet at the 20th National Congress, which just concluded last month as well as he's mobilizing China's civilians for war. And, you know, I don't know what's in his head. Only he does. But the point is he now has the capability of launching attacks, raids or whatever against his neighbors. And that means we have to be prepared. But unfortunately, the Biden administration is not prepared. And there's a lack of sense of urgency, not just in the White House, but also in the Pentagon among civilian senior leaders, as well as the three and four stars. So we can be taken by surprise. And considering that the North Koreans, the Iranians, the Russians and the Chinese are, all believe that they can do what they want, they are, not, they are not deterred by the United States. That's what makes this so perilous. Gordon G. Chang, we appreciate it so much. Again, Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang, although it may keep you up at night, but it's important. It is important. These are dangerous times. Thank you, sir, very, very much. And we'll be right back. Well, one of the reasons why President Trump was President Trump 
is he had the greatest pollsters in the world working for him in 2015, 2016. And uh, that is McLaughlin and Associates. They are the very, very best. Very few polls you can trust out there. Jim McLaughlin is partner and CEO of McLaughlin Associates, along with his brother, John. Jim, welcome back. I know you're busy, but overall, those of us who are in favor of sanity, how is it looking next Tuesday in the midterms? It's looking pretty good. I wish the election was tomorrow. Um, you know, and I, I always tell everybody that the last week, the last four or five days are the toughest because in order to have the victories that hopefully Republicans are going to have next Tuesday, you got to do all the legwork, all the um, get out the vote work over the next couple of days. And we've got to have a big election day because, you know, Democrats, even though the uh, early voting numbers are really up in virtually every state, every uh, battleground district in the country. We've got to have a good election day turnout. Yeah, I got to tell you, I'm not a fan of this early voting. I, I know it's there. It's uh, established, but it makes me uneasy. It just does. And it, there's got to be a temptation to mess with uh, election day to, 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 to create something. I mean, it's, hopefully it's not going to happen. I don't know. It puts all our eggs in that one big day basket, and I'm worried. Yeah. And, you know, think about what, you know, Joe Biden was saying. Oh, we're not going to know who won these races for a couple days now. What was pretty amazing was if you go back to 2020, um, here's a state like Florida where they have early in-person voting, early vote by mail, and obviously people show up and vote on Election Day. They were telling us that by about 10 o'clock at night, that basically Donald Trump had won by 3.4% of the vote. And then all of a sudden, in all these blue Democratic urban areas like uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Detroit, Atlanta, Maricopa County, Arizona, Clark County, uh, Nevada, they all of a sudden shut down the counts. And then you had the quote-unquote massive uh, vote-by-mail dumps that came in there. So that's what raises a lot of questions. And Greg, you're also very familiar with what happened in New York City in the Democratic primary last time, where we basically didn't even know that Eric Adams had won that with that crazy ranked choice voting till about two weeks later. Yeah, what a scam that was. Oh, my gosh. And not only that, you know, for folks, they had Election Day on the last day of school. Yep. <laughs> the last day of school in June was Election Day. That little trickery, it used to be in the fall. Anyway, totally ridiculous. Um, so, all right, things are looking good. We don't know. Let me put a couple of specific polls up from you guys. Uh, U.S. headed in the wrong direction. 65% of voters believe that. That, uh, that certainly rings true. And when it comes to the, uh, ooh, this is a little bit tighter than I thought. Generic 2022 congressional election, 49% GOP, 43% Dems. Again, you're the professional. That strikes me as closer than it should be, uh, but maybe it's not. What do you think, Jim? No, and, and the other thing, too, is when you look at the voters that are undecided, not just in our in our national poll, but also a lot of these key Senate races, these key battleground congressional races, one thing these these undecided voters have in common is they overwhelmingly think the country's off on the wrong track. They overwhelmingly disapprove of Joe Biden. His negatives are up around 70 percent among those folks. And the other big number is in there is about three quarters want to check and balance on Joe Biden's failures and the fact that he's gone so far to the left. 
So not only are the Republicans already at 49 percent, they have a six-point advantage on the generic ballot, but you look at those undecided voters, the vast majority of them are going to go towards the Republicans. All right, John McLaughlin, thank you so much. To be continued, go to McLaughlinOnline.com. It's almost here. Wow, it seems like the been a long time coming. Uh, then again, everything's going fast, too. John, thank I'm sorry, Jim, thank you. It's your brother, John. You're Jim. The both of you were great. We'll be right back. Well, this should be a special treat. Tomorrow night at 9 o'clock Eastern time, John Bachman will host a town hall in Arizona featuring U.S. Senate candidate Blake Masters. Great guy. Should be a very interesting conversation with Arizona voters. Looking forward to that. Uh, should be fantastic. I used to live in Arizona. Great place. Yuma in the southwest corner. Anyway, thank you so much. And thank you for your support. We'll see you tomorrow.